Aetheran Dark Saga is a dark fantasy audio drama. It contains themes of violence and is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Chapter 1, Part 7, Sigmir After his nighttime routine was disturbed, Sigmir, a young Ven tribesman, ventured out to investigate, only to be taken captive by a cultist named Aelin and his fellow acolytes of Nezrakar. His salvation coming in the form of Kriya and Bradik, Kriya being the Argent Order's icon of magic and Bradik her squire. The pair laid waste to the cultists after their desecration of a Venish holy temple, though what they sought after was unknown. Sigmir, held by dark magics, is held up to his feet by Bradik as they leave the temple of Varanor. His story now continues to unfold. Pounding hooves played out their uneven rhythm. The noise blocked out all others but the constant lull of rainfall upon pine needles. The trees, a parallel barrier to the road, was naught but a greeny-brown blur in this miserable mid-afternoon. The sun, or Yindos as it was known to him, struggled to cast light through the heavy, unmoving clouds that made up a dark, marbled sky. The road from Isaac's Hill had been a hard one. Sigmir, the young Venice tribesman, had left everything behind him. His uncle, his aunt, his people, his past, and he knew he could never go back there. The tears had stopped now at least, and although he was angry at himself for showing such weakness, he could do naught to stem the flood of emotion. His mind kept wandering back to the previous night's events. He thought he'd been saved, thought his ordeal was over, yet after what he'd been shown in the village by Kriya. Bredek had urged him to leave with them, and in truth, Sigmir would be dead now, or worse, were it not for these two from the Order. Kriya, the mysterious woman, had not spoken one word to him. Instead, she cast looks of empathy, caution, and anger. All the while, those eyes, glowing within the sockets, gold light where the iris and pupil should be, and as harsh as those eyes seemed, he could find no evil within them. Leaving the borderlands of Balora and the land belonging to his people, they travelled through the night, taking the road south in hopes of reaching Kalandor within the fortnight. The road had taken them closer to the western coastline, and he looked upon the shattered mouth sea for the first time. Sigmir could not believe his eyes. It goes on forever. Not quite. 
but longer than you or I could swim, that is for certain. I cannot swim at all. Well, there you have it then. The setting sun peeked out between the lowest of the rain-filled clouds, the last of the golden rays shimmering upon the water as the world seemed to be washed out by a violet shade, a dark sea beneath a slowly darkening sky. We best make camp here. We're too far from civilization to find any comforts this night. We are safe to stop? They were not following us, Sigmir. It is to our advantage we escaped unseen. They will, of course, know myself and Creo were in the village, but they seemed focused on their intentions. Sigmir stared blankly, recalling the events of the night previous in his mind. Unrolling a thick woolen cloak from his saddlebag, Bradick draped it across his shoulders, the squire clearly feeling the chill of the oncoming night. Through his tavern fox fur, Sigmir felt nothing. Perhaps he was even a little too warm. Are you her lover then, Bradick? I am not. Our relationship is that of a knight and his her her squire. I serve Kriya and I protect her through force of arms. Ours is a unique coupling in the Order. She is, of course, the icon of magics. And I, well, I have little skill in the way of the arcane. All the more reason to learn, then. Kriya smiled her approval, raising her eyebrows and smirking at Bradick. Yes, well, my days of being a pupil are long past. These are how I do my duty. Kriya still smirking, walked away, heading over to the pile of firewood Sigmir had collected. Crouching down, she struck a flint, continuing the process until one of the sparks took hold. Kriya, why not use your magics? The power the lady wields is not for such trivial matters. Besides, why use lightning when a simple spark will do? This is true, but... Why use flint when you already have flames? Night came quickly for them. The icon of magics was keeping first watch, though how she was to alert them of coming danger, Sigmir did not know. In the end it mattered little, for he was unable to sleep, staring off blankly into the dancing campfire, the light shifting, casting shadows upon his young face as the events in his homeland played out before him. Bradick had practically carried him like a babe in arms from the temple, leaving behind the scene of torture, desecration, and thanks to Bradick and Kriya, justice. Kicking him out the door, causing him to tumble and flop onto the ground, clutching the badly burned stump, all that remained of his hand. Aelin, as he was known, howled in pain, spittle gathering at the edges of his mouth, blood streaking his beard. Get up, filth, or I'll take the other hand. (laughs) He's here, and he's coming for you. Brady kicked the cultists to the floor, almost unable to restrain himself from finishing the man off with one of his blades. Sigmir struggled to his feet. His legs shook like a newborn deer learning to walk for the first time. 
as the hold of Aelin's dark magic began to fade. The sickness will pass. You'll feel much better after some rest. The young Ven balled his fist and slammed down with all his weight into Aelin's face, collapsing to the floor beside him. With surprising strength, Kriya brought him back up to his feet, her grasp like a vice around his armpit. We need to go, Kriya, and you too, young man. The icon of magics looked to Sigmir and frowned. Her tattooed face filled with sympathy, those eyes burning into his soul, so terrifying, yet he could feel the pity she felt for him, as to why the young Ven did not know. He is here. Who is, who is here? <laughs> he will devour your souls. <laughs> Do we have need of him? Kriya shook her head. Without pause, Bredic rammed home his short sword, piercing Aelin's heart, killing him in an instant. The lifeless corpse spasming on the ground, blood pooling from his chest. Do you know the way out of here, boy? I can show you a way out, yes. No, you'll be coming with us. No, I... The first scream echoed out into the cold night. It seemed to happen all at once. Flames rose in every direction. The very walls of Isaac's Hill engulfed in fire. Outlines of dark-robed figures moved in the torchlight. Blades in hand. By the will of Agvalan, what is happening here? Listen, you must come with us. Now lead the way. Bredic pushed a stunned Sigmir with the intention to get him moving. Where are the sentries? Where are the warriors? Just go! I will not leave without my family! Cries of agony rang out into the village. The roar of flames and maniacal laughter mixed with bestial cries as slowly the Venice settlement was overcome by unseen forces. You cannot save them, but you can save yourself. No, I... Lunging forward, with an inhuman speed, Kriya grasped Sigmir's face with both of her hands, fingertips glowing like the moonlight as nails pushed indentations into his skin. Sigmir's eyes opened wide. The icon of magics, using her power to force the young Ven to see into the beyond premonitions of what could and what will be blurred before him. It was like nothing he could imagine. Fleshless dogs ran wild amongst men draped in dark cowls. Gibbets, overfilled with tortured women and children, his auntie amongst them, wailed from their swinging prisons. The followers of Nezrakar, holding the Venice tribe's folk at knife point upon their knees, Hands and feet bound as sacrificial daggers severed throats, arterial spray spilling upon a glyph-marked ground. The very land itself consumed by fire, and everywhere ash swirled in the wind. The cremated remains of his uncle Gorksel left to scatter upon the scorched terrain. And there, in the centre of it all, stood a figure... Once a man, now no longer, 
a human body twisted to the point of grotesqueness, a living corpse fused with something from beyond this world. From within his eyes a pale blue light glowed, his skin as white as mountain snow, a hideous, rictus smile showing blackened gums and broken teeth. Six dark horns running from the back of his skull, finishing in front of his eyes. Raising his hands, the long fingers with prominent knuckles and fingertips as dark as soot. Black mist-like flame sprouted like writhing tentacles from his upturned palms. The ground cracked beneath him, revealing a purple light shining from without. The ground a river of red, as the blood of those sacrificed drained into the opening gorge. Before Sigmir could make sense of what he was seeing, the vision disappeared as Kriya removed her hands from his face. Tears streamed warm down the young Sigmir's cheeks. It had vanished so quick, but the face of the man, this monster, stayed in his mind, imprinted into his very soul. This is real? Kriya nodded and grimaced. Do you see now why you must leave? You cannot stop his coming or the events that will transpire here. But you can choose to live or die. Stay and find a fate worse than the grave. Or flee with us and live to strike back another day. He began to sob. His chest heaved as his stomach felt filled with eels. He wanted to cry out and scream to Argvalin. But he knew deep down the Moon King cared nothing for him. He was not true Ven, and if he could not save the Venish folk, save his uncle and auntie, then why would he care for him? Old Sandvik's words sprang into his thoughts. The gods are not real. The mournful wail of a broken man shot out from the darkness. Inside, Sigmir knew this was just the beginning. The Ven inside him, torn, wanting to stay and fight, and die if needs be, as was their way. Yet the Baloran in him, the blood of Brilgan within his veins, his unknown father, told him to flee and return for vengeance later. The hardest decision he had ever made in his life, and he was forced to make it in a matter of moments. With a heavy stomach, Filled with heartache, the young Ven turned away from the fire that was beginning to spread throughout the village. Turned his back on the slaughter which had just begun. Turned his back on his childhood and life as he knew it. And returned the favour. These two strangers had been his salvation. And now, he would be theirs. Awakening before the dawn, Bradick allowed Sigmir as much sleep as he could, allowing the young Ven to doze as he and Kriya packed up the horses. There would be no time for food, just a hard ride back to Kalendor. Looking at the map, the squire saw they were still 50 miles from the nearest town, though if they cut through the woodland up ahead, it would at least bring them somewhere habitable. There is a village here. We can stay there. 
If we ride without stopping for too long, we should reach it before nightfall. What do you say? Kriya nodded her agreement. They had a long journey back to Kalandor, and it made sense to rest up when they could. I can just about make out the name of it. Eastwald. Anvidar, escaping his death at the hands of Kazalan's foul undead minions. Anvidar, icon of war, now lays exhausted and unconscious. His body drained and weak, he now rests beside a slow-burning fire within the very cave he sought protection from the elements in. Rowan, his saviour, disrupting the necromancer's plans to snuff out the Order's greatest warrior, and in so doing, preserving all knowledge of the escape of the archdemon Astaroth. Rowan now seeks to aid Amvidar in any way as a form of vengeance against the demon. The man of Gilglaz awaits the awakening of his newfound ally, passing the hours away, staring through the snowfall, plotting out their escape from the Black Fells. Their story now continues. The warm glow of a new dawn touched upon the Black Fells. The reflection upon the snow causing the land to shimmer in the weak morning light. If it were not for the silence and naught but miles upon miles of dead trees, one might have considered it almost beautiful. Standing outside the cave he'd sheltered in for the past two days, Rowan held his hand up to his brow line. The man of Gilglaz did his best to shield his eyes from the glare bouncing up from the snow. Surveying all he could of the frozen wasteland before him, he stopped, finally finding yet another familiar gathering of trees. He was now certain he knew the way out, and so, with a deep sense of satisfaction, he turned on his heels, with the intentions to see to the now low-burning fire. He smiled with surprise as he saw the cave's other occupant shifting up onto his elbows. <sighs> How long was I asleep? I feel like I've slept for a year. By the goddess, Envador, you're finally awake. You've been asleep for five years. <laughs> Not really, my friend. Just two days. Here, get some of this down your neck. Rowan gestured to Anvidar with a water skin. He'd spent most of the morning thawing it out. As with all things in the Black Fells, it had frozen solid during the night. Thanks be to the mother of the stars I found that saddlebag. At least now we've got something to put all this horse meat in. I wasn't letting that go to waste. Rowan pointed over his shoulder using his thumb in the direction of a leather saddlebag. The bag was bulging, and only just staying closed by the last notch on the metal clasp. <sighs> Listen, I am grateful to you, Rowan, but what you did back there, that was incredibly foolish. If we'd both died out here, no word would ever have reached Kalandor, and by then... But we didn't die, and I owe you my life. You have my thanks, my friend. You'd have done the same for me. What you did took great courage, Rowan. 
I could see the fear in your eyes back there. Do not belittle your actions. You should be proud of yourself. I, I just wish I could have done something, anything, to save Semin, you know? Amvadar nodded his understanding, greedily gulping down another hearty swig of water. The small pieces of ice within, helping to soothe his damaged throat that still ached from his encounter with Astaroth. Anyway, the weather's eased off since we came in here. I would have, uh, chanced leaving you and gone looking for the other horse, but I didn't want to return to find you'd been eaten. Would have been fucking ironic though, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, it would have. <laughs> Walking over and reaching down for the saddlebag, Rowan opened one of the outside pockets. Plucking out from inside a pouch, which he threw over towards Anvidar. Here you go. Eat up. There's some dried fruit and some salted bow in there. The words had barely left Rowan's mouth before Anvidar stuffed the salty pork into his own, tearing away a section and chewing at it with enthusiasm. He let out a breathy noise of satisfaction as the taste made him smile in appreciation, smacking his lips as a sign of how much he enjoyed it. Patiently waiting for the night of the order to finish, Rowan then handed over his undershirt, then his canvas. Breaker, the knight's sword leaned against the cave wall, at rest within its black leather scabbard. His padded coat now secured, he reached out and grasped the weapon, fastening off the sword belt upon which it hung. Lastly, Rowan handed over the ragged cloak that had once belonged to his brother, Aldwin. With a grateful nod, Amvadar accepted it, and with swift wrist movements, placed it back upon his shoulders, securing the ties off to the straps on his gambeson. You ready to go then? I am. Lead the way, Rowan. The pair did not look back as they walked for hours and hours. The going was hard, but they pushed on through the thick, compacted snow of the Black Fells. Barely a flutter of wind crossed their path, which by the grace of their respective gods was a blessing for them both. Rowan seemed to remember certain landmarks he'd given strange pet names to. Groupings of trees, some boulders and some rocky outcroppings. The entwined lovers, the Fletcher's fingers and the fat bastards. They all helped the man of Gilglas to find his bearings and eventually the way out from this godforsaken land. Slowly as they continued on, the white blanket that enveloped the ground began to show pockmarks, with patches of soil and mud and clusters of low grasses becoming more and more frequent. Eventually the snow gave way to lichen-coated rocks, moss beds and the rolling rise and fall of the northern tundra. I know it's not getting dark yet, but I think we should set up camp. I don't know how much further I can go on for, and I'm I'm dog tired. You don't look much better. Not yet. Attilian's watch is just over this bank. Once we get there, we'll rest up. Amvadar pointed over towards a gathering of huge boulders, 
much taller and much darker than any of the other surrounding rocks. They nestled almost too perfectly atop a heavy incline. Are you sure? It doesn't look like a fortress to me. It looks like a pile of bloody rocks. Remember, you've took a few blows to the head. It's been my home for the past eight years, Rowan. I couldn't be more sure. Fair enough. Lead on, then. The pair continued on, circling the slope of the hill which Amverdy insisted the fort lay inside. Stepping down another steep incline, they finally came upon a hidden track. Any passerby would have missed this. No traveller would make crossing this already hard-to-traverse terrain even harder for themselves. Instead, they would choose the well-beaten path, leading on past the Black Fells and farther north into the lands of Ballora. A stone wall and wooden gates greeted them. Upon approach, Rowan noticed Amvadar's change in demeanour. A look of concern and confusion crossed his intimidating face. What's up, Amvadar? Is there something wrong? There's no guards. There should always be at least two guards on each of the walkways. Either the men are slacking or... Something's wrong. Without another word, Amvadar ran ahead, unsheathing Breaker before pushing open the already partially opened gates. Amvadar! Hold up! Jogging behind, Rowan did his best to catch up. Once he was past the high-walled gates, he was confronted with a scene he had not expected. Attilian's watch was built inside a curving horseshoe of a hillside. The ground itself had been dug out, hollowing the mound and encircling the buildings within. The sound of a horse whinnying nearby caught his attention. Spinning around, he saw the three mounts still within the stable, unharmed, but clearly unhappy. There's horses, Amvadar. We don't have to walk. Thank the goddess. Crows scattered as the icon of war neared the fort itself. Calling their protest, being disturbed mid-meal, they flew up, resting atop the alcoves and upper walkways nearby. Blood and viscera were scattered amongst the grass. Weapons and the arms that wielded them, bodies torn in half, some devoured, but all had been mutilated. The man of Gilglass walked up to the crouching Amvadar, wafting flies away as well as the smell of death which hung in the air like a morning fog. The Knight of the Order knelt down, whispering words of prayer for the dead men beside him. Oh, what in the hells has happened here? These men, they died in service to the Order, and I knew all of them. Is this all because of Aldwin? Amvadar looked up at Rowan, his face unreadable. This was no doubt the work of the demon Astaroth. See how the bones are missing. Amvadar pointed at the corpse beside him. The thighs had been split open and the bones removed, filleted like a fish for the feasting table. It's for the marrow. Fucking hells. I mean, the marrow? By the goddess, this is foul. This is standard practice for for them. He needs it to keep his body growing and to keep the physical form stable while he's here. 
I, I don't understand, Amphidol. It's too much to explain right now anyway, and I'm not the icon of knowledge. Needless to say... Amphidol rose suddenly, his face pale as if drained of all blood. What? What is it? Amphidol! The Knight of the Order sprinted off, his heavy bulk moving surprisingly fast for one of his stature. Heading off towards the entrance of the fort, the thick wooden door barely upon its hinges as the upper section of the doorframe had been smashed to kindling. Once inside, Rowan was greeted by a small feasting hall. Two tables, surrounded by upturned chairs and copper plates, some were still food upon. The ash around the fireplace was everywhere. For what reason it had been disturbed, he did not know, but a trail of blood ran from nearby, finishing atop the hearth. No corpses here to greet them. It seems they had all charged outside to meet their deaths. Rowan continued onwards, looking for Amvadar. Walking into the only room adjacent to this hall, he saw it was the barracks. Rows of beds with square wooden chests at the foot of each of them. A dark room, which looked undisturbed. It was eerie to look upon, as the sheets of the beds were still made trim. It was almost pristine in appearance. Stark contrast to the gruesome murder scene outside. It wasn't until he returned back into the hall that he saw where Amvadar had disappeared to. Climbing up out of the ground from where the half had been, the Knight of the Order rose up from the secret access beneath the fireplace. It looked a tight fit for one such as himself, and his head looked like it had been bleeding. No doubt, he had banged it upon the mantle or something else on the way down. Can you just stop running off? I don't like the idea of being here on my own. What's down there? You need not worry about the demon. He will be far from here now. He's took what he came for. I just don't know how he knew it was here. So you're just going to leave me to guess what it was then? It's it's nothing really. Just a section of a stone of Arimar. You're going to have to stop confusing me for some bloody demonologist. Byla Narin, you're talking gibberish, Anvadar. No offence. My apologies, Rowan. Arimar was an ancient icon of knowledge within the Order. He found the stone and discovered the properties it possessed. He learned through ritual and the use of powerful glyphs. The stone could be infused with great magics of binding. Like, uh, that thing you did back in the cave? Not quite. That was a sigil, and a poor one at that. Think of the stone like a... like a sponge. Except rather than holding water... It absorbs the eternal souls of demons. What, it, it traps them inside? Indefinitely. So it's a trap, like a, like a prison for demons? Exactly that. What we know is, demons who come from one of the Neverworlds, they cannot come here in physical form. Instead, they must inhabit a human body. Your brother, for instance. They maintain that body by feasting upon the marrow and the flesh. They can twist and change the body, but it has its limits. It does have its uses. The stone acts as a warning, 
If any living souls enter the tomb within the Black Fells, it would begin to pulse with light. That's how I knew your brother was in there. As to why this archdemon would want it, all I can say is, this stone in particular was a piece of the first ever created. We think of it as a holy relic. It was an honor to have it under my charge. But yet again, I bring shame upon myself and the Order in my failings. Ah, you lost a little pebble. I wouldn't worry about it. They'll be thanking you once we tell them about this Astaroth, sure enough. Amrida shook his head, and after wiping off the dust and ash, he made his way out of the door, back outside. I need to get the rest of my armor and supplies. Go saddle the horses, but don't touch the grey mare. She's yours then, I take it? She is, and she's recovering from a sickness. We cannot ride her, but I won't leave her for the wolves either. I never expected you to get all sentimental about a horse, Amvidar. Go. I'll be ready soon enough. That was Chapter 1, Part 7. I'd like to give a special thank you to Dr. Michelle Booz for her great feedback and suggestion. Michelle pointed out that I'd no longer continued with a quick recap at the start of the episode, like I had done in the second. So from now on, I'll be putting in a small recap of the previous events for that character. Thank you, Michelle. I loved reading the DM you sent, and I'm really grateful for the review. Speaking of which, to help this podcast grow and get the exposure it needs... I need ratings and reviews on iTunes, Podchaser, and any way you can, really. I can't stress enough how important this is, and I'd like to continue to give a shout-out to those people that are willing to contribute. I'd like to give a shout-out to those listening in Houston and Austin in Texas, Manchester, and just up the road from me in Durham in England. I see people listening in Norway, Brazil, and India, and I hope you're all enjoying the story. Follow me on Twitter at Podcast, all one word or email me at airfriendpodcast at gmail.com let me know what you like or what you don't like about the show is there anything you'd change or anything you're unsure about story wise or like Michelle if you have a suggestion on ways to improve the show next episode will be out as usual in two weeks so I'll see you then thanks for listening all music in this episode is by Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution License 3.0 you can find Kevin's amazing work at incompetech.com. Various sound effects were taken from freesound.org.